so here in Isaiah uh, 4 and 5, um, you know, when I was reading through it, uh, you're gonna, I was going to see a verse in chapter 5, verse 25, and we're not there yet, it's going to be at the end of the study, where God basically says that his fist is ready to strike. So um, the crazy evil that's in the world, you guys, it's insane the things that are going on. You know, the, the babies that are being slaughtered. I mean, think about all the abortions that take place and think about all the defiance and all the murders and all the, the rapes and incest and violence and injustices. I mean, it's just crazy what's going on in this world. So we're going to see, you know, it's important for us to have a proper understanding of who God is. You know, some people think, well, he's sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus. He, he's so nice. He never hurt anybody. He wouldn't hurt a fly, you know, and they, they think he's gentle Jesus. And, and he is. He, he came as a lamb, but he's coming again as a lion. He's coming again. And we're talking about when God judges this world, bodies will be swept away. They'll be left on the roads like garbage. And so we're here, and I was in the city council meeting the other day, and you got the citizens of Almani, and they're doing their thing, and they, they got their fists up in the air. You got people with their fists up in the air. Who, who are you pointing that fist to? No, no, when, I, when I was reading this, I'm like, God has his fist. God has his fist because he's a holy God. Because sometimes people don't understand who God really is. Yes, he's, he's loving. He died for us on the cross. But, but if we don't accept his forgiveness, then we will experience his justice. We will experience his holiness. God saved us from his wrath. So God, you guys, when we're talking about the Lord coming again, and you know, it's, it's, he's ready to strike the world. And so, you know, when you go through Isaiah, you're going to see, the, it's so amazing how he talks about heaven, he talks about millennial kingdom, which are good things. He talks about, I mean, some beautiful passages that will comfort us because he, he's with us when we go through the hard times. It's going to be a great book, but he also speaks frequently about judgment. And that's why it's so cool that you guys as Christians, we don't have an imbalanced view. Like if you go to a Calvary Chapel that will just teach you through the Bible, you're going to get a balanced view of who God is. And that's why, you know, studying like tonight, you know, the, the lion and the lamb, it helps us a lot. And so we actually begin in something we left off with last week. It's a horrible chapter break. It should have been in, in last week's study, really. But we begin actually with this, uh, the cat catastrophic consequences of the Babylonian judgment. So in 586 BC, 586 BC, the Babylonians came and they just wiped out Jerusalem. They burned the temple down. They burned down all the houses of Jerusalem. They ravished the women. They just, they completely annihilated the, the army. They killed soldiers. I mean, it was just a crazy thing. And we read here in chapter 4, verse 1, the, the devastation, the effect of that. It says, and in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. And so um, don't think it doesn't happen. Don't think that God does not judge. He judges. 
He did. In 586 B.C., he judged the southern kingdom of Judah. In 722 uh, B.C., he judged the northern kingdom of Israel. We've seen it throughout history that, judge, that nations get judged. And even the Jews, they did. And it was so bad that the ratio between surviving men and women were seven to one. There were seven to one as far as women go. They didn't have any guys to marry. And so right here, Isaiah is saying that it's going to be so bad. The ladies are going to say, hey, you know, we'll supply our own food and we'll have our own clothes. You don't have to worry about really supporting us. Just marry us to take away our shame. And, and really, the main reason that Isaiah is saying this, because remember, this happened, he warned them before it happened. He was prophesying in 700 B.C., so that's 22 years before Israel was taken down, and then 586 B.C., he was prophesying hundreds of years before them. And so we're going to see the intent of this study is not just information about a nation. Oh, yeah, 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and they wiped them out, 722, Assyria, and, you know, we, we got the facts and we know it and stuff like that. No, it's not just information about a nation. It's about a transformation for our lives. Transformation maybe even for our nation because when we look at Israel, we see so many parallels to the United States of America, and God is going to judge this country. Make no mistake about it. You know, I, I don't know the, the, the when, but I think it's soon. I think the rapture of the church is going to happen very soon. And then the United States of America, which is raising their fist at God, man, they are going to get hit hard. And it's going to happen in this nation. And so Isaiah was warning them. And when we look at it, it's like, okay, I think he's warning us too. We're going to see the parallels here. Notice what we read in verse 2, because now he bounces from the Babylonian judgment to the millennial kingdom. He says, in that day, the branch of the Lord. Now, how many of you guys in your Bibles, the word branch is capitalized? I'm just curious. Okay, and that branch is Jesus. So, you know, one of the things that I think is so important for us to remember is that this world will never be everything we want it to be. I mean, we can look to men. You might look to men. I have a problem looking to men because men are just men. The men of best of men are the men at best. And, you know, we, we got to try to, you know, pray that God will raise up godly leaders. But, but this is the one that I'm looking for, the branch, when Jesus comes and becomes king in Jerusalem. This is what this is about. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And this is going to be partially in that day when the exiles return from their captivity, but it's primarily after the tribulation period. And we're going to see that after the seven years, then there's a thousand-year reign. And so those who have survived it, those who have entered into this time, there's, there's going to be blessing. It says in verse two, 3, And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem, from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. So God did a little bit then, 
but he's going to finish the work during that tribulation period because God is going to deal with the Jews. And if you guys, you guys know your Bibles, two-thirds of Israel will die. One-third will survive. So you don't think that, well, he's sweet Jesus. He's gentle Jesus. So he's not going to judge anybody. He will. And we need to have a fear of God. I can't even begin to think what's going to happen to this country. It's going to be so crazy. Right here it says in verse 4 again, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the, the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Now, that's not a chimney, just in case you're thinking, those are chimneys in Mount Zion. No, it's symbolic of this presence of God, okay? So do you guys know this? Do you guys know the chronology? I know some of you do, but the next thing that can happen any moment, any day, is the rapture of the church. The Bible talks about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that in one eleventh of a second, in the, in the blink of an eye, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be taken out. Just like Enoch was taken out in Genesis chapter 5, it says, and he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay? So rapture of the church can happen any moment. If you're not right with God, I want to just beg you, get right with God. Start reading your Bible. Start praying the way you're supposed to. And when you read your Bible, read it with a heart to obey it. Because it's so important that we're going to see today, we have to bear fruit. We have to. When you read about Matthew 25 and the sheep and the goat, the only difference between the two were what they did and didn't do. And so it's not what you say. It's how you live. So we got to be ready for the rapture. It can happen any moment. I just encourage you guys to be, be ready for this. And then the seven-year tribulation, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, it talks about that last seven years where God's going to be dealing with Israel, finishing up the 70 week of Daniel. And then after the seven years is a thousand years. Think about it, where Jesus is going to reign from Jerusalem. How awesome that will be. The devil will be bound in the bottomless pit, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 and 20. And then after that, God will allow him to come out one more time. There'll be a final rebellion and then we're going to see the Father will judge Satan. He'll cast him into the lake of fire. And then we'll have the great white throne judgment. And then we'll see that we're going to have the new heavens and the new earth. So that's what's ahead. We as Christians, we know this. We see the signs, the earthquake in Haiti. We see the signs, the pestilence. We see the signs, you know, the, the vaccine is, is, is grooming us to do what the government tells us to do in order that, you know, they will, th yeah, that sounds reasonable. That sounds rational. Everybody should get like a little chip right here and it'll tell whether or not they're vaccinated and all this kind of stuff, medical history, buy and sell. You won't need no more cash. And there's so many places now, there, there's, there's a cashless society. It's getting there. And so if you can't see the signs of the times, then your eyes are closed. So it's there. What we're seeing in this is that this millennial kingdom is going to be so beautiful. You know, the branch. Uh, I was wondering if you could turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, 
and look at verse 1. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And that's the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, we see the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and mind, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You know, we read about Jesus being the branch there in Isaiah chapter 11. He's a descendant from the tribe of, of Judah. He becomes a descendant of David. That's what the Jews are looking for. Even today, they're still waiting for the Messiah. But we know that Jesus was the Messiah. We read about him being the branch there. We read about him being the branch in Jeremiah 23 and verse 5. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king, and he shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Uh, we read about it in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8. The Bible says, Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, are they a wondrous sign? For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. And so, you know, this is the Lord during the millennial kingdom. Do you guys look forward to that day? I'm just curious. Don't you look forward to the day when Jesus will reign from Jerusalem and we're going to be reigning with him, those of us who know the Lord? And, you know, no politician, no government, no man is going to make this happen. It's going to be, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. You young people, my heart goes out to you, but you guys better be strong because you are going to be tested. That's why you have to have a deep, deep commitment to God now because it's going to get crazy. And so this branch, um, it's interesting how it says in verse 3 that, that they'll be called holy, those who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. And so they're written down, those who, who are going to be living there, and, and some will say that that's in reference to having your name in the book of life. Philippians 4, verse 3, other places talk about the book of life. Let me ask you a question. Is your name in the book of life? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Not just here, but here. You know, are we living our life for him, the Lord and Savior? We see in, in verse 5 and 6 the power and perpetual presence of the Lord during that time. You know, the smoke, it talks about the glory of God. And it's not chimneys, it's the, the fire by night and the shade from the heat. All that is talking about, you guys, during the millennial kingdom, the perpetual presence of God. It kind of reminds me of the days when they were uh, coming from Exodus and coming out of Egypt. Nehemiah 9 verse 12 says, Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. And so the Lord here during the millennial kingdom, he will be our, our refuge. Look again at verse 6. It says, and, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime for, from the heat. Just out of curiosity, you guys, uh, are you like me? Do you like the shade? Or is there, I, When I was younger, for some reason, it didn't matter. Maybe I wanted to get tanned. I'm not sure. But now I'm looking for shade, you know. But, that, but during that time, um, the, the God's going to protect us. God's going to be with us. He's going to be our perpetual presence. Look what it says in verse 6. For a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. 
No refuge is a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. When you read the Old Testament, it's interesting how they have the cities of refuge, you know, and we mess up. We mess up. And God give, provides a place that we can run to. And then in, in, the, in the Bible, we see later in Hebrews 6, 17 through 20, that Jesus is our refuge. So if you sinned, um, we can run to him and we find shelter in him. And so the millennial kingdom is, is going to be amazing. Isaiah talks a lot about it. He doesn't talk about the, you know, now we're going to see these crazy animals dwelling together, kids picking up snakes. Isaiah talks a lot about it. And part of the reason teachers believe that he talks a lot about it is because of the fact that when Israel would go through the discipline that they went through, they would still understand that God would not give up on them. That we do get disciplined, but we don't get destroyed. We don't get dis- defeated in, in the big game. We might lose some battles, but we win the war because we're Christians. And so some people believe that's why he's kind of always, you know, the, the bad stuff and then the, and the good stuff. But look at verse 1 of chapter 5. He shifts gears again. This time he downshifts. Look what he says in verse 1. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard, what more could I have done? What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? You know, interesting, this is so beautiful. I think if you read carefully, you're going to see that this is Jesus singing about his father's vineyard. And we see, we're going to see later in verse 7, it's clearly identified as Israel and Judah. That's the vineyard. And so, you know, we know the Bible identifies Israel as the the vine. For example, in Psalm chapter 80, verse 8, the Bible says, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. So Israel is the vine. We see it again in Jeremiah 2, verse 21. God said, yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality, how then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? You know, we know Jesus used this illustration in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew 21, Mark chapter 12, Luke 20, and he talked about how, you know, Israel is the vine, right? And so um, God is now going to sing about this vine, which is interesting to me. Did you guys know, how many of you knew that God sings? Did you guys know that? God sings. I bet you he has a pretty good voice. And you guys have heard some of these guys, some of these opera singers. I can't forget what that one dude, but man, they're, they're great singers. Um, but imagine what it's going to be like when we hear God's voice. And just as a quick side note, you, you guys, it's, it's so cool to know that we will hear Jesus sing over us one day. Have I, how many of you here, any of you girls here ever been serenaded? I'm just curious. Ever been serenaded? Yes. See, and this is what Jesus is going to do with us. The Bible says in Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3, 16 and 17, 
In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, nor let your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save, and He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And so here in Isaiah, we see Jesus is singing about the vine. And we know one day he's going to sing over us. And so you might wonder, well, why is he singing now? Why is he singing now in Isaiah chapter 5? As he's about to talk about this vine that was supposed to bring forth fruit, and it completely failed. They were just posers. They were just hypocrites. They weren't really Christians. They weren't really believers. So why is he singing now? And probably the answer is, a lot of guys say, because the people weren't listening to the sermons. So he said, okay, I'll try singing. (laughs) Imagine if I started singing up here, if I started singing. How many of you guys would listen? How many of you guys would run? (laughs) You know, so the Lord is now, he's singing, and, and, and they have a feeling it's because he wants them to hear how crazy it is, how this vineyard had everything going for it. They had the best soil. It was rich. It was cultivated, broken down, rocks removed. It was planted the choicest of vines, and there was a tower there to protect it from any animals or any enemies that might want to hurt it. There was a wine press already dug. Everything was there, and so it's understandable that God expected it to produce good fruit, but it didn't, and Israel ended up uh, a wild child, wild grapes, bitter grapes. And so God says, he, he also calls the people to reason with him. What more could have been done? And you guys know Israel's history, right? For those of you, most of you guys read your Bible. You know, God chose Abraham. He brought him to Canaan. From him, you know, we have millions of descendants. They went into Egypt for a while. God brought them out and defeated the most powerful nation in the world. He split the Red Sea. He, Sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years. Their shoes didn't wear out. I mean, they, they, I mean, it's amazing. They ate angels' food, and then they went into the, the, the promised land, and they marched around the, the, the city, and the walls fell, and just, just the amazing thing that God done. You know, one thing about Israel that you'll find is that it's very similar to the weather of California. Uh, it's a great place to live. It is. I mean, it's a beautiful promised land where God would rain down everything they needed. They were blessed. They were so blessed. But it's just crazy that it didn't take long. It didn't take very long where people who get blessed, they just forget God. And that's what ended up happening to them. You know, God is asking why. And for us, you know, we got to understand the same is true for us. You know, might, we might look at Israel, I might look at Israel and think, man, I, those guys, those knuckleheads, you know. And then the Lord just says, hey, Manny, what about you? What about you? Do you bear fruit, love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, gentleness, self-control? What about you? There's two types of fruit. There's moral fruit and ministry fruit. Moral fruit is the character of Christ. Because let me tell you something, it does not matter if you pray the prayer and you read your Bible every once in a while and you come to church, but you don't live the life. Because if you don't bear fruit, then you're not a real Christian. That, I have to tell you that 
because I love you. I have to tell you that because one day you're going to stand before God and you can't say, hey, I went to Carrie Chapel and I was there and you know, I read my Bible through in a year and whatever it is that you know your props are. And, and God is just saying, no, is there, was there a changed life? Is there a transformed life? Is there fruit? Is there moral fruit? The character of Christ, is there a change in your life? Because, you know, see, Spurgeon said, if there's no change in your behavior, then there's no change in your destiny. Do you want to read the Bible? Do you want to pray? Do you want to seek the Lord? Do you want to serve him with a reckless abandon? We all should. Do you want to see other people get saved? Do you have that eyes to evangelize? I mean, is it really you? Or are you just going through the religious motions? Because he gave them everything they needed, but they, they weren't bearing fruit. God expected it from them, and God expects it from us. Now, we see it frequently in the Bible. And when you, when you think of the vine, it's interesting how Jesus takes it a step further. And in John chapter 15, because of the fact that Jesus came and lived among us, you guys know that he became a man, right? So it's interesting in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine. So now that Jesus came to planet Earth, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remember? He says, abide in me and I in you, for without me you can do nothing. And so as we're resting in Jesus and remaining in Jesus and drawing our source from a personal, intimate relationship with him, then we will bear fruit. And you know what he'll do if you bear fruit? He'll prune you so you can bear more fruit. And then he'll continue to deal with you because his desire is that we bear much fruit. And so, you know, let's, as we're reading this, let's not just look and see how bad Israel was, those guys. Let's make sure there's true and genuine fruit in our lives. And, you know, I would say this, and I don't want to, you know, be weird or anything, but husbands, what does your wife say about you? You may, you may look good here at the church because a lot of times we can put on the show at the church, right? But what does your wife say about you? What is your husbands say about you wife friends who people who really know how you really are because we all i think know how to do it here in front of everybody else it has to be real fruit not plastic stuff we have to ask ourselves lord um is that me i think it's important for us to know who we are and what we are you guys you're sheep did you guys know that so since you're sheep you got a shepherd He's going to take care of you. He's going to defend you. He's going to make you to lie down in green pastures. He'll lead you beside still waters. You're, you're a child of God if you're a Christian. Isn't that cool? So if you're a child of God, then you've got a papa who's taking care of you. Those are just good things to know that you're the bride of Christ, so he loves you. But you're also a branch. We're branches, and therefore, we must, God is calling us to bear fruit. God did everything that he could to make them fruitful, but Israel would not yield to his field. And so watch what happens in verse 5. And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard, God says. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. 
For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For, for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. I mean, he, he was looking, is there any righteousness there in the nation? And all he could see was a whole bunch of people who were being oppressed and were just crying out for help. And so when you look at this, God, it, it's kind of scary. You know, all God has to do in order for us to be thrashed is take away his hedge of protection. Did you know that? God doesn't have to do it himself. Although he's got a fist and he's going to do some stuff, that's all he has to do. Take down the hedge of protection. Take down the walls. God is constantly protecting us. A billion times a day he's protecting us. Do you know what the devil and his demons would do to us if God did not protect us? They can't touch you without his permission. And so that's all he has to do, just let down the, the, the protection. I mean, that's all he got to do is stop protecting this earth and it will be bombarded with meteors. That's all God has to do. But he's going to get involved in this. You know, he looked for fruit and justice, but he only found oppression. And so what we find here is God is just saying, this is where we have to, I know I have to, I know Isaiah wrote it, not just, like I said, for information for others. I believe he wrote it for me, and I want to bear more fruit. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like him. I want to, and I want to bring more people to Jesus. I think that so much of our life is kind of is broken up into two categories. Number one, submission. Submission. Your flesh wants to tell you not to love people. Your flesh wants to break you out of this place called self-control. Your flesh, you know, it wants to do all the things that are contrary to God. But we have to submit to Jesus. We have to submit to him. And so number one is submission. And then number two, I think, is service. I mean, we should be busy serving the Lord. Everybody should. No excuses. You know, how are you serving the Lord I don't know. That's between you and him. I can't tell you the divine details on that, but I do know this, that you know, it starts at home, but we all have gifts and talents that we have to give back to him because if not, one day we're going to be ashamed because we buried the talents and gifts that he gave us. So there's, if you have the submission, there's going to be moral fruit, so to speak, and if you have the service... There'll be ministry fruit. This is what God is looking for, but they didn't have it, so God had to, as a nation, judge them. And we're going to see it's just so relatable to our nation. I think that um, when you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these guys, you know, where they knew that judgment was coming. That's a, we, we know judgment's coming, don't we? I mean, how can God not judge this nation? Remember what Billy Graham said? If, if God doesn't judge America, he'd have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys see how they're parading their sin down the streets and they're flaunting in the face of God? Look what we read next. It says in verse 8, we're going to have six woes. And, and he says, you know, woe to those. And so the woe, it, it's crazy, you know, what sorrow for you. Destruction is certain. You're as good as dead. This is what woes mean. Woe to those who join house to house, they add field to field, till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. 
in my hearing, the Lord of hosts, now the, the word hosts, it means the cap, cap, armies, the Lord of armies, heaven's armies, said, truly many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones, without inhabitant. For 10 acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, they're probably six gallons, and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah, or one basket. And so, woe to those who join house to house. Now, there's two views. Some people say that means it's an urbanization of an area where you make a whole bunch of houses and they're all kind of joined together. Um, and that might be one view. I think I lean more towards the view that, that the New Living Translation says. It says, what sorrow for you who buy up house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted and you live alone in the land. Because these homes, it says, will be judged by God. These homes with lush pastures will one day be desolate because in 586 B.C., Isaiah saw it coming. The day would come when the Babylonians would judge um, Israel. I wonder, because the Babylonians were bad. The Assyrians were bad. I wonder... How will our nation be judged? I mean, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to like say this is it, but imagine if we got run over by Islamic terrorists. Imagine if there was some bomb dropped on our, on our country. Again, like I said, I think we're going to get raptured out first, but don't think the Babylonians were like this nice moral group that God found. Oh, you, let me use you to... No, they were bad. The Assyrians would impale people. There were mounds of skulls in front of the city gates. We're going to see that's going to happen to our nation unless there's some kind of crazy nationwide revival. I don't see that happening. So right here, what we see, God says, woe to those who are just these rich people. They're just buying everything up. And God says, one day I'm going to smash all those homes. Verse 11, the second woe is, is drunkenness. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night, till wine inflames them. So these are people, have you guys ever met someone? They wake up in the morning, they start drinking, and then they just drink all day long. At nighttime, they're still partying. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and flute and wine are in their feasts. And so these guys, they got the music bumping. All It's a party all day. That's their life. But they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity. See, that's why. Because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst therefore sheol has enlarged itself now sheol may just be in reference to the graves or death but more than likely it's in reference to hell hell is real it's a real place that people who reject god's provision of forgiveness people who reject jesus will be there forever and ever see if you don't agree with me on that it's because you don't know god you have your own view of God. Well, God, you created your own God. No, God has revealed himself to us. And so this is where they end up. It says in verse 14, Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure, their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he who is jubilant shall descend into it. People shall be brought down 
Each man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled, but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. And then the lambs or the beasts, they shall feed in their pasture and in the waste places of the fat or rich ones shall eat. You know, these people, they're, they're just parting. A lot of these celebrities, a lot of these uh, athletes who, and there's some athletes that are Christians. I'm just, I wish I could show you all the videos I've been seeing of these awesome Christians, but there's a lot of these athletes that people put up on a pedestal or these musicians or these celebrities or whatever the rich people are. One day, God is going to judge every single one of them. So why do we look up to them? It's crazy. God's saying, I'm going to deal with all those people. The ramification of rebellion is is captivity. So that happened to Israel. It happened to Judah. And it's going to happen to us. You know, the reason is, and there's a lot of things right here. We talk about drunkenness, and we definitely live in a society that glorifies alcohol. You want the girl, you, you know, get the beer, you get the right beer, whatever that, it's just insane. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that we are just promoting this in such a way and all these commercials about beer and, and Jim Bean or vodka or whatever it might be. I mean, it's just, don't we know, don't people know that when you destroy blood, in our brain, when the cells are destroyed, they don't reproduce. So it's just crazy. God sees it. Can you imagine how much money is made on alcohol? I mean, it's insane. And the devastation it does, but we're flaunting it. You know, it says right here that they have no knowledge in verse 13. They have no knowledge. We read earlier in Isaiah 1 verse 3, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib where he gets his food, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. They don't even know who owns you. You don't own yourself. You don't belong to yourself. You've been bought at a price. That's what the Bible says. God owns me. God tells me what to do. But the people were destroyed because they didn't know that. We should know that. I am not my own. Hosea 4 verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. And this, you know, knowing who owns us, knowing the Lord. I even read one brother, he talked about how destroyed for lack of knowledge means that you don't have like a biblical worldview. Like you, you don't have the knowledge of being able to look at everything with the biblical lenses. That's why it's so important to read and heed and learn to live the Bible. I beg of you. I know you guys are busy doing other things and there's movies to watch and there's this to do outside, your hobbies and games to play. And that's okay. First, you do what you're supposed to do. and You read your Bible with an open heart and you ask God to speak to you. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. They, they perish because they don't know the Lord. And one day, many people will stand before Jesus, and he's, they're going to say, Lord, we did all these amazing things. And Jesus said, depart from me, because I don't know you. So you got to know him. you got to make sure you know him. The third woe are those who mock God. It says in verse 18, 
Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. The Amplified Version, uh, it gives us a good insight in what this means. Woe to those who draw calamity with cords of iniquity and falsehood, who bring punishment to themselves with a cart rope of wickedness. If you can visualize, they got these ropes and they're dragging the destruction to themselves. That's what he's saying. In the verse 19, it's about those who mock God. Yeah, come on, God, you're real. You're real? Come on, let me see it. Let me see some lightning struck right now. Woe to those people who are drawing this to themselves. Verse 20, those who play God. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I mean, you know, we, we're living in a world now, in a country and culture now, that say they say what's right. They have completely forgotten the fact that they were made by God and he says what's right, not us, not popular opinion, not government, not politics, not education, not school, not universities. So they call good evil and good um, and, and evil good, good. And we see that in so many ways, homosexuality, abortion. Um, they mock the, 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 the concept of abstinence. We have different, just completely radically polarizing different views on gender or pride or modesty or humility, equality, roles of men and women, um, even mothers and fathers. The sacred secular divide grows wider and louder and many secularists see Christians as bad, hateful, judgmental, bigots. Some see them as bullying elitists when all we're trying to do is tell them the truth because we know what God has done in our life and we know there is a heaven and there is a hell. The fifth woe are, are people who are unteachable. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. You know, if you lose the whole hope of being taught, you, you know, we, we lose hope. We, we lose it all. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its, its end is the way of death. And so it can't be just, well, what I think. I think this is right. No, what does God say in his word? The sixth woe, uh, drunk and unjust judges. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. And so remember those days? Maybe some of you guys were there. I know you're not there anymore, but man, you used to brag about how much you could drink. Yeah, man, I was a case of beer or whatever. And you, you know, you're, you're, you don't get drunk. He's saying woe to those type of people, especially when they're judges making judicial decisions. Verse 24, Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the shaft, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have, and here's why we're, I'm talking so much about the Bible, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. See, that's why I'm telling you guys it's so important to read and heed your Bible, to love 
love it, learn it, live it. The, the Bible, read it, ask God, because it's a living word. It's a sword of the Spirit. That's why, because they said, we're not going to do it God's way. We're not going to do it the Bible way. We're going to do it our way. And so verse 25, it says, Therefore, the anger of the Lord is aroused against his people. He has stretched out his hand against them and stricken them, and the hills trembled. Their carcasses were as refuse. Their bodies were like trash in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away because he's not done yet. His hand is stretched out still. Like God did all this crazy stuff. And that's where I was talking about that verse, the New Living Translation, where it says his fist is still poised to strike. I remember, man, seeing fights in school, and you know, you got guys that can throw blows and stuff, but there were a couple of dudes, man, that could hit hard. I remember this one dude, big old dude, man, he's went, bam, he hit somebody right there, right there. You know what that does? I mean, the guy was out, he was gone. So imagine the fist, the strike of God, so you guys, just I, I know God is gracious and holy, and, and you know we don't want to lose that, this, this, that, that part of, of the gospel, man. He's forgiving and, and, and that. So you know that's what Jesus did the first time. He came as a lamb, and so we embrace that 100 percent. But you also got to know that he's holy. We're going to see it next week. He's holy, holy, holy. And he will judge. His hand is stretched out still. He will lift up a banner to the nations from afar, that's Babylon, and will whistle them to them from the end of the earth, and surely they shall come with speed swiftly. They won't skip a beat. No one will be weary or stumble among them. No one will slumber or sleep. No, nor will the belt on their loins be loose, nor the strap of their sandals be broken, whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their horses' hooves will seem like Flint and their wills like a whirlwind. Their roaring will be like a lion. They will roar like young lions. And if you study history, we don't have time to get into it because we're, we're already over, but if you study history, Babylon has lions everywhere. So Isaiah was writing in 700 BC, so a, a, over 100 years later, the Babylonians came. Some people are like, well, I'm just going to, I'm cool, I'm chill, I'm going to live my life because God hasn't struck me down. You know, and, and you don't realize that when you plant seeds, and it, it takes some time. But eventually, you're going to reap what you sow. So that, the, he's, he's telling them what's going to happen. Yes, they will roar and lay hold of the prey. They will carry it away safely and no one will deliver in that day, they will roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and sorrow, and the light is darkened by the clouds. God, God's anger was aroused. I mean, they were burning their children and offering them to Molech. So he had to come. The Bible even talks about how there was no other remedy. And so... For us as Christians, aren't you guys blessed that you know and you're ready, right? And I would just say, you know, encourage you guys. Um, let's, um, let's come to this place in our commitment to Christ where we've never been. 
I know there's a lot of things that tempt us. There's a lot of things that are peripheral issues that are going to, you know, they're, they're trying to take away our relationship with him. I was texting Lewis today and his, his dad's going through this right here. You know, their, their family's fasting. When was the last time you fasted? You know, and I'm not telling you because I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to be a Pharisee or anything, but a lot of times that's going to be, those are like signs. I mean, today in our New Testament reading, Mordecai was covered with sackcloth and ashes because of all the craziness that was going to happen to his people. And I, as I was reading it, I'm like, Lord, look what he's doing. What am I doing? How am I really seeking the Lord like this? And so the Lord will show you those details on just how to seek him with all your heart. That's all. And as we do that, we know he's going to do a good work. You know, I've been serving the Lord. Tomorrow is actually going to be my birth, spiritual birthday, August 20th. You guys hear me say that date all the time, huh? So how many years has it been? It's been a lot. 32 years, something like that. And I will tell you this, okay? You young people, I'm not picking on you. I do, as a matter of fact, I love you guys so much um, that from the moment from the moment that I gave him my heart. It has been a great adventure. It has been awesome. But you have to give him your heart. You can't just play church. You gotta be real. And so one last thing. I don't know if you guys heard about this hurricane. It's interesting how they name all these hurricanes after ladies. Do they? I don't know why they do that. But did you guys hear about Hurricane Grace? Did you hear about Hurricane Grace? Any of you guys? There is Hurricane Grace. It's on its way. Right now it's in Mexico. It's on its way. And I thought, Lord, what if Armani got hit by Hurricane Grace? And the Lord is here to forgive. The Lord is here to not only wash away your sins, but how to overcome. The Lord is here to do a new work. His grace is real. It's so amazing. All you have to do is let him do that work. Say yes, Lord.